Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to listeners old and new. I'm Graham Hunter. You can get an extra big interview plus a documentary special every month and hear all our content free of adverts by signing up as a socio at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. This month, only socios get my big interview with Celeste Ferdinand and a documentary called Pep Talk that I put together with Jonathan Northcroft, star of Stage, Screen and the Sunday Times. For £2.99 per month, you'll also know you're supporting our show. More at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Thanks to all our socios. We need your help to do this. We couldn't and wouldn't do it without you. Epic that I remember that I wanted that I've been desperate to bring up is features Chavi and features Pep because at that stage I'm reporting a lot on Chelsea and you you've had one hell of a Champions League campaign. Luca really trusts you. You're playing a lot. You've played yeah. a huge amount of Champions League football in 1999, 2000. Yeah, and um, you've dealt with Milan, which I suppose player of your ilk. Dealing with Milan, no big deal. Lazio come and win at the bridge but you draw Barcelona yeah. and it's Louis van Gaal it's funny how these names keep cropping up but Louis van Gaal's Barcelona and if I remember it correctly I mean it's a blitzkrieg game where Chelsea rip into a sort of fairly ragged Barcelona who could really really play and were full of stars didn't dominate the ball I don't think as much as they do now and if I am correct you sacrifice almost all of the things that make you exceptional use of the ball and time on the ball and what you might change the direction of a game to swallow up Xavi Hernandez. Yeah, it was kind of a, a weird one because it wasn't meant to be Xavi. We thought it was Guardiola, um, but he pulled out injured or something. But we, Luca felt that he was going to be fit. So anyway, when the team was announced, it was obviously I was playing. To be honest, I wasn't too surprised. As I said, I felt I deserved it the way I'd played in the league and stuff like that. But the fact that it's Barcelona, you do have to kind of pinch yourself on it. Their front three was Rivaldo, Cliver and Figo. So, yeah, outstanding. And I'd never heard of Xavi at the time. But he pulled me to one side and said, look, it's not going to be Guardiola, but the person that's playing instead of him is going to be just as good. It was like he went, I don't know whether he knew that at the time or whether he was just trying to keep me in. You need to prepare for this guy like he's Guardiola. So, like, to keep me in it, but... I was like, yeah, I haven't heard. He went, no, he's a Spanish under-21 international. He's class. He does exactly the same things. And you need to play all the build-up, the two days going into the game. You need to play exactly the same. And So, obviously, there's one part of me, because I always loved Guardiola. As I said, the Barcelona teams that I remember watching, I always remember Baquero, little midfielder, one touches and all that. But then Guardiola was a bit after it. And I'm like, I would have loved to have played against Guardiola. But you then thinking, right, who's this Chavi fella? Yeah. 
little do you know, he's probably surpassed Guardiola as, as a player. But yeah, I remember playing. I had to do a man-to-man marking job. It was literally wherever I am when we lose the ball. It was still fine on it, but wherever I am when we lose the ball, I need to just attach myself to Xavi. And he didn't play much that night, so I suppose that it's, it was good on my point. It was a little bit weird for me. As I said, I wasn't used to playing... I've never ever done a man-to-man marking role in my life, but I think Luca had trusted me as far as that I would do it. I would think of the team more than I would think about my own game. And think, I love that. And yeah, as I said, it, it was on a night where the lads done great as a, as a team and to beat Barcelona 3-1 at home for a team that's first time in the Champions League, it was a special night. My favourite London cabbie, hello Pat, Pat Moriarty, was talking recently about having been at a corporate with uh, Jermaine Genus talking about when he'd been asked by Bobby Robson for Newcastle yeah. to try and do what you did for Chelsea against Barcelona and Jermaine answered who's the most difficult player you ever played against and he said Xavi Hernandez and the, whoever was asking him the, the question said in there did you see much of the ball and Jermaine said I think I touched it three times all yeah. night in the game and that was a different Xavi Hernandez but Let's just take a little tour. You, you've gone on to admire what he's done as a, as a leader, as a sport. You, you'd pay to watch him. However good you've been as a sportsman or footballer, yeah. or if you've done your career, you'd, you'd pay a ticket to go and watch Xavi Hernandez anywhere, yeah. anywhere right? All, all day. For me, one of the greatest ever midfielders. Not just because he's part of the small man club, but at the same time, like, listen, the team that I've, I've watched Barcelona over the last 10, 12 years, for me, is obviously there's little changes into managers and whatever, but the team when Xavi was in the in the thick of it in the middle of midfield I think it's the best team football team I've ever seen and to see how he would just command the ball wherever he was he would get himself out of bother he would control the tempo he would open up teams when especially at Barcelona when you've got 10 players behind the ball camped on the edge of their box he, he would have every club in the bag to open them up but to play with all the top superstars continuously and the amount of games he played for Spain and what was it, the World Cup that they won first, Spain? Oh, that, I thought in that World Cup, I thought it was outrageous. It was extraordinary, wasn't it? It was outrageous. He was, the, the night you marked him out of the game, as a youngster, admittedly, but similar age to you. Yeah. He was playing centre midfield, what they call the pivote for Barcelona, yeah. he was, because he stood in the number four position, Pep's position. Yeah. When Frank Rijkaard, because I spent um, several days out in Qatar recently, going back over his career for a film, and he talked about, like, you know, he booed on at the pitch when he was substituting Guardiola, he said, it's, it's, with an ironic tone, it's funny, isn't it? You know, now I'm the, the great departed hero and everybody loves me. And his words, I hate the phrase, he said, I was the cancer in the club, according to everybody before. I don't know if you, you probably... I never knew that. You didn't, probably didn't buy El Mundo Deportivo the day after the Stamford Bridge game. Really? But the columnist said, um, this game showed why uh, Xavi is, is not even half of Guardiola and he was useless. And it's another example of why he's not going anywhere at the club. There's a columnist with this really? thing. Because you suffocated him at the club and they couldn't yeah. see. But when Frank Rijkaard in about 2004-05 said to him, I want you to play what we might call right midfield, they called in an interior, almost somewhere between a midfielder and an inside forward. Xavi was scared and said to Rijkaard, I don't think I've got that in my game. Yeah. And was intimidated by it and freely admits it himself. Really? Which, looking back on his career, is extraordinary yeah. to know. But have you been faced with challenges where somebody said to you, do this, do that, or... Something's come your way where it's felt intimidating or you haven't been sure if you've got that in your locker? No, I wouldn't say... My positioning was changed a little bit. And Rude sometimes used to play me in behind the striker. I, I never used to like that. I, 
as I said, I, I preferred to not be receiving long balls into me with the, my back to play and you know did you like to see pitch. the game yeah but not only that I'd also think that in those areas at the top unless you're passing it properly and keeping it for good spells a lot of the time they're expecting the number 10 back then would be expected to run beyond strikers and get on the end of flick-ons and, and I was like that was never my game so there was that side of it, but it was never... And Claudio and, to be fair, Luca at times as well, they they played me on the side of a, a midfield four, but it would be, I think, usually just to shore up, have a more of a hard-working midfield and maybe one winger on one side and then more of a midfielder still just slightly tucked in on the other and then maybe you had a full-back behind that side that was more adventurous and then would give you the width. But I wouldn't say nothing really intimidated me in, in that way. I mean, I wasn't really one for getting nervous... Those type of games, I remember going to the. Well, I used to call it the New Camp, but since I've watched, <laughs> since I've watched uh, Spanish football and that, um, I've changed. Yeah, so I remember some going bad to, but, bastard yeah. keeps insisting yeah. calling it the Camp. Yeah, now. so I've been. I, I remember going to Barcelona and places like that, and, and just thinking, this is what I wanted to play. For, I wanted to play football for. This is what I. I, I wouldn't get nervous about. And I, I remember coming in after that game. And obviously we lost three one in normal time. It was the second we lost three one. It went to extra time, and then they beat. They scored two against us in extra time. And but playing against Guardiola there was more of a challenge to me. One that I wasn't good enough to stop him playing because he absolutely controlled the game. I felt Guardiola. But at the same time, where at Stamford Bridge it was easier for me because our team was doing well. Like do you know what I mean? So it kind of shows you the the difference in team and individual uh, successes. Like. Did I do anything wrong at Barcelona? No, I was actually quite happy with how I played and I wanted to get on the ball and I felt that I, I showed, when we're talking about people getting scared and that, Ray Wilkins done a, spe- a speech at half, not a speech, but kind of got into the lads at half-time a little bit and said that we needed to show more balls. Like For me, some of the older boys, international players, kind of looked like they froze a little bit and I was kind of like thinking, come on, this is, this is what I wanted to play for. And that, that's not me saying that I've done great and all the rest of the lads done bad but it just showed you that I've played with players and I know what you mean I've played with players that you would see certain games affect them or you would see mistakes affect them I was lucky enough coming through at Chelsea where they have a certain affinity with homegrown players where you are most definitely allowed more mistakes than others and and it's something that will always stick with me as I said I I don't want to keep using Mill as a derogatory thing but I've watched young lads make debuts at Millwall and being booed after 10 minutes. Whereas at Chelsea, that that's unheard of. I, I'd played many a bad game and mistake after mistake. But as long as they saw you trying your hardest and wanted to do what was right, they, they gave you a, a little bit of leeway as far as making mistakes. So I didn't, as I said, as far as being intimidating and that, I think it was more opposition that you kind of felt can I match up to this person I'm playing with and can I get the better of him well you were matching up to the new Manchester City manager and I was I was reporting on both games paying attention watching closely I, I'd been across to, to Barcelona a lot as a reporter I'd spent a lot of time with Bobby Robson it was very very good to me and I understood a little about their system and as a reporter who'd covered Chelsea a lot I was fascinated by and who liked Luca, and, and Luca was very good to me first Premier League manager to whom I could phone and ask things and, and that's yeah. That's an enormous privilege. So that was kind of rooting for Chelsea to some degree. If I watched your performance that night with a good eye, Pep Guardiola played further and further back because you were giving him not a lot of room and not a lot of space. I remember, I'm pretty sure, first half, he took you out about just above the knee in frustration. 
Yeah. I remember him moving the tempo a lot and the ball came through him. I mean, yeah. maybe even more than normal because Barcelona weren't fluent. They weren't releasing uh, Figo and Rivaldo just as much as they normally do. I think he had probably had Koku and Gabri around him. Yeah. De Boer, Puyol at the back. Yeah. Poor keeper in Hesp. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. he yeah. wasn't great over no, the two no, legs. Yeah. Um, he but all right for us today. Up front, <laughs> kind of quite tidy. But up front, I mean... Of the 5-1, as you said, because if I remember correctly, you'd played a big, maybe even a cup tie, 48 hours before. You played three games in, in five days. Yeah. And you're at a camp now, maybe, because people maybe think that football at Barcelona began with Pep Guardiola, the manager. Just try and describe to people, it's 100,000. What's it like arriving and going, what's the atmosphere, what's the feeling? As you come down the stairs, a little chapel on your right. Yeah, like, well, it was, for me, it was... When you turned up to the stadium, I was a little bit outside, a little bit disappointed, thinking, I swear it looks bigger on the telly. We trained in on the, the mini... the mini. Yeah, in the mini stadium, yeah, right, about um, 500 metres away. Yeah, yeah, so when, when we actually turned up to the stadium, I was thinking, oh, I don't know what it is, it looks, looks bigger on the telly, it doesn't look that big. But then obviously you're not realising, obviously the pitch is below the level that we are arriving on the, at the stadium, and it just showed, it, it was class for me, it was just like, it was just sunk in tradition, and... Even when you're going down the tunnel and then you've got the chapel halfway down and you've got some of the boys having a little prayer and stuff. And when you come out, you, it's, that's when you see the enormity of the place. It's packed. But as I said, it was even in the warm-up, I was getting, no, I wouldn't say goosebumps, but I was, I, I was excited going, oh, I just want the game to start. The war, no footballer likes warm-ups anyway. Like, it's the most annoying thing in the world. I've no Who idea. likes stretching and jogging about? And I like <laughs> you like the warm up side of it, is in yeah you can get to a little kick about, but the yeah. warm ups nowadays are a lot more quick feet and get ready, which is fine. Listen, don't they're organised drills. Yeah, now. yeah, you, yeah, you've got to do that side yeah, of it. Yeah, but yeah. I just wanted the game to start. It was kind of like let's go. Oh, this is brilliant. The pitch, pitch was at this. This was at a time at Stamford Bridge when the pitch was uh, not like it is now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just wanted a. So the, as I said, the game to start and the atmosphere, the, the noise and, and the deafening noise when we actually scored a goal and the whole place went silent because obviously we only had a couple of hundred, I think, up in the... Right up yeah, in the gods. Right. And you, you could hardly hear them. So that, that, they that, could hardly see you. Yeah, that, that, that side of it was a little bit surreal, going, wow, that's got to be the quietest ever that we've ever scored a goal somewhere. And it was, as I said, it was just deafening. But you certainly knew you was in a special place. That compared to the San Siro, to me, was no com- no comparison. I thought the San Siro was great, looked good, and thought the pitch was poor. And they gave Marcel a, a lovely Marcel Desay. Yeah, they gave him a great sort of standing ovation before the game. That was great, and it, it was really good. They all sang together. But you no, know, like as far as atmosphere and that, I, that wasn't on the same level as the camp. Well, now you you've already found on and off, mate. That I did, I'm quite an excitable type. I get quite romantic about football, evangelical about football. And I remember when Pep was being successful as a as a coach, I was rabbiting on in broadcasts, sometimes on Spanish TV in Spanish and sometimes here, about this brilliant prince of a footballer. But I remember, I'm naming him now, Jordi Lardin, who was an Atletico Madrid, Espanol, Spain international, told me, oh, I don't recognise that guy you're talking about. He said, um, Pep would do anything to win. Stamp on your boot, he'd put his finger in your ear, call your mother, win, win, win. He said he was a bad bastard. This is Jordi Lardine's word, and he played against Pep and with Pep too, as well. Any dark arts when you went head to head with Pep? No, no, I got probably just the one tackle that you mentioned. I remember he he went 
I, I remember thinking, blimey, I, I didn't know he, you never really saw him tackle, well, I didn't really see him tackle in the, the, the games that I'd seen him, but I was a little bit surprised by it, but at the same time, it was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's what you, you nothing, get him, yeah, exactly, get him. yeah, and, uh, but at the same time, as I said, I remember getting through the game thinking, I can't get near him, like, I just, I was near him as in vicinity, and maybe close enough, but I just remember thinking, I, I couldn't, there was never any really sort of second balls or little bouncy balls in and around him. It was all everything was just so controlled and like. Having seen him, so I can tell you now without having asked him what was in it. I can't get rid of this one. As yeah. you were saying, I can't get near it. Like if you look at the goals, three set play goals. You know, a penalty, yeah. the free yeah. kick which de- deflects off by the arrow, and I think there's a, a pet free kick in which you can hardly be held yeah. responsible for Danny, yeah. which I think maybe Luca might look back and say I should have. When Danny's on, we maybe yeah. should have just watched how we covered him a little bit. And, you know, set play goals. The last, the fifth goal comes from a nice little pass, but yeah. it's, it's gone by that stage already. And yeah. I would have said that 5-1 aside and, and going out, that was as special a performance, or as, as effective a performance as you gave against Xavi, who famously said that you were his most, his most difficult opponent. Yeah, t- yeah, toughest. As I said, that when Xavi kind of elevated to astronomical levels up after a few years after that game, it was... I remember someone pulling me at Millwall at the time and just said, look, we've got a, there's a camera career, you've got to do an interview for, I think it was Chavi's 10th, I don't know, it was it was a celebration of something to do with Chavi, I don't know whether it was 10 yeah, they years call it or, the, in, in Spain when it went out, they called it the Jordi Morris hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I had to do an interview to then be sent just to say what it was like to play because he'd, as I said, he'd mentioned me being in like an annoying opponent, I think that he was saying that he, every, he felt that even if he was going to the toilet, I would have followed him, which is true. This is exactly what Luca asked me to do, and as I said, it is as much as you we're all footballers and we want to play the beautiful game, and I'd love for him to say, "Oh yeah, he was doing this with a ball, great passing, blah blah." But at the same time, when you've got someone of his stature mentioning you at all, as I said on camera when I was and I spoke to some like a Barcelona radio as well it was the same thing it's like I look at him now going do you know what I mean he's a, totally he's a hero like, an absolute hero whether he's the same age as me or, or not you look at how he's played the game and you can't help but admire him so much you enjoyed that i'm willing to bet you did finally a reminder that you can get an extra big interview plus a documentary special every month and hear all our content free of adverts by signing up as a socio by signing up as a member join us at patreon.com forward slash graham hunter we need you for £2.99 per month you'll also know that you're supporting this independent show that we produce and fund ourselves there's more on this at patreon.com forward slash graham hunter Thank you to all our believers, our members, our socios. We need you for this.